Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is fellow Bitcoin player John Odette, who reached out to me to come on the show and talk about taking restaurants, his restaurant business, onto a Bitcoin standard. Now, this isn't John's main profession. He is an eye surgeon. So this is following a trend at the moment of people reaching out to me in the medical profession. I've had two doctors on the last show. John is in uh, eye surgery. And I had Dr. Bitcoin and Dion as well. Amazing to see people coming out of all kinds of different sectors to come on and talk about Bitcoin and how it's changed their lives, how they've taken their business practices onto a Bitcoin standard, how they see this uh, asset as a perfect way to protect their business, their staff, their family, and everything else that goes along with it. Before we get into the show, go check out my book, A Shill Lightly, as you will probably have realized. It's called Choose Life. You can find it across Amazon. And please visit once-bitten.com. Hit up the sponsors page, go and see who's on there. You will find unofficial shills for uh, products such as Shamari, where you'll get a discount for the little uh, card game, Bitcoin card game. And of course, the other sponsors such as coinfloor.co.uk and relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch. And across the pond, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten for all of those URLs will unlock some extra goodies and please make sure you take control of your sats not your keys not your cheese so make sure you pick up yourselves the bitbox 02 bitcoin only wallet from shift crypto shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten enjoy this episode with john and thank you as always for listening we're live. John, great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan. I, I listen uh, to most of your shows. I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. Well, that's, uh, that's answered Lauren's question already. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, I've got another one. Go on, then, but, but go, okay, go so fire away, fire away. I heard that you have restaurants, so like, like... Um, so if we are able to leave and like go somewhere, um, what would your restaurants be? <laughs> well, I actually am a multifactorial entrepreneur. And so I, right now I have one restaurant and we're looking to expand. Mm -hmm. My only restaurant is in mm -hmm. Austin. I also do eye surgery as a side gig. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a rabbit hole straight off the, uh, you know, yeah, straight off the bat. Eye surgery. Did you need, when we're in Austin, you can go and. Uh, Wait, is it Austin, Texas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got right. Yeah, look at that. So when, when we're there, we can go for, um, I don't know, a meal somewhere. 
and not get an eye surgery. Yeah, and get our eyes lasered. No. <laughs> if that's uh, if that's what we're in We for. can get like severe one, but like not me. Yeah. So do you have any more questions now? Uh, I mean, I have a ton. <laughs> we we Lauren, yeah, uh, I I don't know what your accent is. I, I made some assumptions, but we have a great fish and chips at my restaurant. I've heard it's the best outside of England. Mm. <laughs> yes, England love their fish and chips. They do. Yeah, and yes, you have picked up on the accent correctly. It's. Uh, what do you mean? Like, well, picked up on what, what is your accent? You have a British accent or an English accent. Have you ever lived in England? No. <laughs> Really? You've never lived in England? No, never, ever. Wow. You just got it from dad and mom then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they talk sometimes, like, in a British accent, but otherwise, it's just, like, this. Mm -hmm. They go, like, good day, mate, or something like that. They just, like, mess around with that. Yeah. And then I'm just, like what yeah I, you know we can do a good aussie accent as well you know do it. For, for all you aussies listening out there do it. big shout out to um to tim and all the guys over there do what do it do the english accent the english accent yeah yeah like you do with um alex a um i don't know that's an australian accent oh come on like like you know no they say it in um oh get out mate yeah that that one, yeah, yeah. That's uh, people are going to be listening to this, thinking they've tuned into the Stefan Levera show or something. <laughs> uh, oh, good eye, John. What do you think of Australian? Uh, I mean, Australian economics, mate. You know, it's the best economics out there. <laughs> well, based on what I've heard, Australian economics is a little rough. They've shut the whole country down, from what I heard. But uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know about it's... that. Oh one. yeah, they shut the. They shut. Uh... Mm. Yeah. Well, the diggers and sheilas are having a not a good time over there. The right diggers now. and what? That's the only they will know. Don't worry. Don't worry. I, I will be accepted in Australia if, if I'm ever, you know, on the run. They will, because I know a bit of the lingo, I could just, I could slide right in there. No, you can't, Daddy, because <laughs> they're not allowing their own people in. So I don't think. But the point know. is, I have the accent. They'd never yeah. know. They'd never know there was a pom among them. Yeah, but Daddy. Do you know why they're called poms? No, My English I have people no are called idea. poms. It's an acronym, I believe, for Prisoner of Mother England. So when the um, when so in the UK, in England, in Britain, uh, way back in um, in history, a couple of hundred years ago, they exported who they thought were criminals and thieves and, and bad people. They exported them to Australia, and it's when the Australians. Uh, when they once they got there, they realized they weren't prisoners at all. The people back in the UK were prisoners of Mother England. That's why Australians call British people. Uh, wait, is this like history club or something? Yeah, have you got a question for John? <laughs> yes. Um, so my question is how like how are you a sidekick as in like eye surgery? <laughs> sidekick now? Like where's that come yeah. from? So I do a little bit of both. I, obviously, I, I, my primary um, uh, career is medicine, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I decided to start a restaurant a couple of years ago as well with another partner. And mm -hmm. so we got into the restaurant business as well. 
and um, the restaurant business was, uh, uh, it's been a hard business to be in the past year and a half or two. Um, uh, well, past year, we'll call it because of uh, COVID. Obviously, you know, you probably haven't been to too many restaurants recently. I miss them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what do you miss the most? Like when you're with your family and then you have a great meal and then you go home happy and then just yeah. go to sleep. Have a wonderful dream. Yeah, so well, restaurants, they, they don't just provide food. They provide an ambiance and a memorable experience. And, oh, I miss cafes. And cafes, yeah. Um, You'll be back to them soon. You'll be back to them so, soon. Yeah. If I don't, then um, I need to go somewhere. I would <laughs> well, need to, to go somewhere to go have a coffee and have a pastry like I did. Just come, come to Florida or come to Texas and all yeah. everything's basically open right now. Um, you may have to wear a mask when you go in, but all of the restaurants are open. All the cafes. Well, we want to go to Florida for the uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami. Yes. And, I and Miami isn't closed. And we want to get to Texas and visit Austin and, and visit all the cool Bitcoiners there because there's a bunch of cool guys there that are mm. doing amazing work in the Bitcoin. Do you host, I mean, you should be in touch with the Unchained Cap guys and say, look, we'll host the next Bitcoin meetup. I'm sure you've tried this. Yeah, no, I, I am somewhat. And I've, uh, I, I've talked to a few of them. Um, my restaurant, so where they host the meetings is right downtown and my restaurant happens to be out kind of more on the uh, in the suburbs, if you will. So it's a little ways out. It's 25 minutes from downtown. So it's a little bit of a drive for them. But I, hey, I've, I've offered, I said, hey, we can, uh, let's, let's do a meet up here. But I think it's just easier for them. You know, uh, all the young guys are downtown. <laughs> That's bullshit. Phil and Parker, you got to lower your time preference and get <laughs> it. You get your asses 25 minutes outside of town. What the hell? Like, to click on a phone right that's an uber and you're out oh. there i mean i'm sure they'll come back to me like yeah that's extra sats we don't need to spend dan it's like but i'm sure john will cut you a deal there's no problem <laughs> yeah we can we can serve only meat for for the guys that's uh that's their <laughs> usual uh after after the meetings they go for barbecue <laughs> all right do you have any more questions for john yes what is on the menu because i'm curious if i go I need to know what, what I would right. like. That's a great question. So on our menu, we started uh, with having gourmet burgers and salads. So like some of the best burgers and salads. Now we've kind of diversified a little. So we also have some really good tacos, um, some uh, nachos. Yeah. Okay, Dad, we're going. We're definitely going. We're going. You just hit, you but, just nailed all three of Lauren's favorite foods. Right <laughs> but this is the part for your dad. This is the part for your dad. We have right. a self-serve beer and wine wall, and we just added some liquor drinks too. So you can self-pour your beer on tap. Mm. Oh my God. So this is this is like an optic run. Yeah. You can redo it. Right. I see the tie-in now with your like your eye surgery. And yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, nice little pun you've got going there. <laughs> and the most important for me, the dessert. Mm. Yes. So we're not known for our desserts yet. Our kitchen is not big enough for, 
dessert. We do have some local ice cream that we, oh, okay. we bring in and we keep on keep in store, but we don't make fresh desserts. We do make some fresh cookies to go with mm. your ice cream, but okay. that's that's pretty much all we have. So we're not a great dessert venue yet, but we'll mm. get there. Second location. Okay. You're not going to run out tonight, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Daddy, this is all we, sh we should have done a pre-chat, pre-record chat. It was my own fault. <laughs> go <right>. ahead. <laughs> okay, so this is all time. We go to the um, we go the conference, to the conference in Miami party, the hundred k party yeah. at Uncle Chad's. Yeah, and then we're gonna go to Texas. Okay, to Texas, mm -hmm. and then we're gonna go to his restaurant. Mm -hmm. Have a and have a great time. <laughs> Oh, I, I can't dispute any of that. I want to make that happen. Okay. If that happens, that is going to be the best summer of my life. You heard it here first, listeners. All we need to get going now is these politicians to get off our backs and yeah. let us out of our gulags. And I want to be free. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I understand that. You should be free. And I have a nine and a six-year-old, and I think they're a little more free than you, but still, it's been a rough year for them, too. Mm, I mean, all I do anyways is just, like, sit on my device inside. I don't really go outside anymore. Well, you were running outside today. Yeah, I saw you. Yeah, but that was only, like, at, like nine like ten something for your for your running club yeah i did one come like one kilometer yeah that was cool good effort mm. shall we now get on with the interview yeah okay <laughs> um you're very talkative after food yeah i guess i have the energy i guess so okay uh yeah i just wanted to See if you win another beer, but I saw your glass there, yeah, no, so I, it's going to be fine. I've got plenty. Oh, Cheers, yeah. John. <laughs> Cheers. Okay. Do you want to say good night? Okay, night? thank you. Good night. Yes, see you soon, okay? Yes, I hope so. Thanks. <laughs> we will find a way if we can't. We will find a way. That's what Bitcoiners Perfect. do. We will find yes. a way. And we shall. We shall. We have to. <laughs> yes. All right, mate, I, I think you've just been... I think you might hold the, the record there for the... Uh, the, the most interrogation from the, the toughest interviewer in the space. So well done. Yeah. You've survived. Well, good. Thankfully, I, uh, I get that a lot at home, so I'm, I'm somewhat used to it. Uh, you know what cracks me up? I read a report once, uh, and this is just after we'd left Singapore. So we'd started travel with the kids. Uh, so I'd quit my career and we left and we were traveling with the kids. So I'd gone from Mr. Never see the kids, maybe at the weekends to around them 24 seven. And I start, I read a report somewhere where somebody like stated that, oh, did you know that the average four to eight year old or whatever it is, uh, asks around 400 questions a day. I'm like, who the fuck? <laughs> like whoever wrote this article has just like, they've, they've, they've clocked in for half an hour and just extrapolated and come up with such a low ball number because it's just insane, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, my kid will ask 400 questions in three hours. <laughs> right. This, and I mean, it, it's just nuts, but it's so great to see 
the the problem is when they stop asking questions and that is not a natural phenomenon that is something that happens when they are given over to the system but you know the more questions they ask the more intelligence they gain that's uh that's the way i, I figure it what is money <laughs> uh that's a great question for breed love <laughs> absolutely all right john let's get into it i mean how do you go from eye surgeon to restaurateur what led you i mean this is uh where did you grow up but you know what was the what was little john doing where were you growing up and what were the folks up to what was the what was the family biz or you know the, the yeah that's a good question so um i was born and raised in minnesota which is far north of texas uh and my parents were both teachers and so I was kind of, uh, and they were public school teachers, which uh, <laughs> was a different time for when we were kids, though. Um, and I, I had a really good upbringing, but I was always taught, you know, you get straight A's or you don't do anything fun until you do. And, um, you know, so I got straight A's and I was always a good student. And my dad kind of uh, harped on us. We grew up kind of low middle class. And he just said, you know, I don't care what you do, but just make sure you make make money doing it. And he said, you know, you're smart enough, you should be a doctor because doctors make lots of money. And uh, it's true. And so, I, you know, I, I came down to Texas to play college golf, actually, and thought I was going to be a professional golfer and eventually made my way into uh, medicine because I realized there was a lot of good golfers out there and medicine was a little bit more of a sure bet. And so I, uh, Got into medical school, went to medical school, got into eye surgery. I love what I do. I still love what I do. As a matter of fact, I just did about 15 surgeries this morning. Um, so, you know, I, I still practice medicine and I still love it. And thankfully, it's been a very good career for me. But uh, about, you know, well, about 10 years ago, I started realizing that I had no financial background whatsoever. And I had a pretty large uh, salary every year or income every year compared to the average person. And I didn't want to get taken advantage of. And so I started learning a lot. And so for about the past 10, 11 years, most of my ed self-education has gone into uh, finance, personal finance and uh, economics, which <laughs> I had never taken one single economics course in high school or college uh, ever. I never took one. And so all of my economics training has been just uh, kind of personal finance and stuff that I've researched on my own. Um, well, about, I guess it was about six, five, five years ago, five, six years ago, I got in with one of my friends who is a very good day trader, uh, made a lot of money day trading, and he introduced me to Bitcoin. And he said, John, you've got to get some Bitcoin. And this was when Bitcoin was at about 350, 400 bucks, something like that. And I said, wow, that sounds like an absolute Ponzi scheme. Uh, there's no way in heck I'm touching Bitcoin. And then I watched it and I watched it go up to $20,000 in 2017 and I never bought any, <laughs> kicking myself the whole way up. And uh, eventually I, I said, wow, you know, I missed this. What did I miss? And I'm, I'm okay with being wrong. I've been wrong a lot in my life. And I, I said, okay, what did I miss here? And then I watched it go back down. And at the same time, I'd been listening to a lot of uh, um, another podcast for Preston Pish, their, his podcast. And I started that in about 2015, 2014, 15, whenever they started. And 
I'd been listening to them and they had mentioned Bitcoin. And so after 2017 kind of crash uh, in 2018, I said, oh, okay, yeah, it must have been a Ponzi scheme. It's nothing. But I kept watching it and I learned more about it from about 2017 on. And um, I just uh, economics that I couldn't even fathom before. And once I realized how important it would be going forward, um, I kind of, uh, that's when I really went down the rabbit hole, if you will. I know you guys, you guys say that all the time, but uh, yeah, so it was about 2018 when I really started digging in, when everybody else was kind of getting out and, and scared. Um, that's when I really got uh, uh, involved learning about it. And then when it didn't go away and I kept following it, and then thankfully, a lot of really good information came out in the past two to three years. I mean, that information was not there in 2015, 2016, 2017. And so just learning from some really intelligent people um, happened to be a good thing for me. It's so true, man. Like the, the explosion of unbelievable content over the last couple of years whether it's been the podcasting scene i mean the articles the books 2015-16 maybe andreas had a book laying around somewhere maybe it was his first one uh, like programming bitcoin i can't remember when that came out but i wasn't picking that up like no way like the first one i picked up was what like uh internet money by andreas and that was just uh, transcripts of his his talks that i'd already pretty much watched on youtube but then slowly but surely here came the articles and then came the books and big shout out to those guys that it's a brave thing to do right you're putting a lot of reputation on the line People like, I, I don't think we give enough respect to people like Parker. You know, he was coming from Parker Lewis for the listeners. He was coming from hedge fund background. The, the, he, the career was set. The career path was made. He was going to be good. But no, he's like, this is all effed up. And I've got to write something about it. And without his insights and you know robert breedlove another one just a brilliant uh, brilliant mind and brilliant writer he was running his own company he had a, a reputation preston his <laughs> reputation right to start a bitcoin only podcast goes against pretty much his whole suite of uh, subscribers and he would have taken some some flack so huge respect to to these guys that all of a sudden came on the scene and then like the People like Knut, uh, who just uh, drops his own books out there. And we've had more like Jesse Berger come along. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm doing so many people a disservice because I've still got a stack of books. I'm reading, trying to read through them all. Uh, Jimbo, uh, Orange Coin Good, uh, Kira Bickers, Inventing Bitcoin, Cal Rosenberg. Um, I mean, Clarifying Bitcoin, Jan Priska. Man, like unbelievable. Yeah. And, and it just, and thankfully it's not stopping. Like uh, Nick Batia just came out with his book and, yes. and um, <laughs> funny story on that. I was reading it and um, we were on a plane back from uh, um, do, uh, a short ski trip and 
uh, as you may know, traveling with little kids, is, it gets to be a little uh, arduous. And I left the book. I was about two thirds through it, and I left the book on a plane. I didn't want to buy it again. So I, but I have an Audible su subscription, and literally, it just came out like two days ago on Audible. So I'm, I'm finishing that book now. <laughs> but all these books, all the papers, all you know, all the uh, just educational content makes it a lot easier for people to transition in and understand Bitcoin more so than they did, you know, even three years ago. Yeah, I just grabbed uh, on audiobook as well, Audible, Nick's book. So uh, thank you, Nick, for, for that work. That's, that's brilliant. I'm looking forward to delving into that. All right, man, college golf. Who are you up against? Who, who made it? Come on, you were probably rubbing shoulders with, with few people that made it. High time preference time. Right. No, I only played with a few. Uh, I've, I've played with a couple pros, uh, but they're kind of the, uh, well, I won't say lower tier pros because honestly, these guys are so good. You can't even imagine um, when you've played golf with some of the lower tier pros, um, you realize just how good the really good players are. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to mention their names, but uh, um there's about three or four lower tier pros that have won some tournaments, but, you know, maybe they've won two or three tournaments and, you know, kind of struggle to make their card uh, uh, year in, year out. But they're still like, I mean, they, they just annihilate me on the golf course. I mean, I, I, I'm about a one handicap. Uh, if I was playing a lot, I'd be a scratch golfer, but uh, these guys go out and shoot 65, you know, 64, 63, just like it's nothing on a regular course. So it, it's, it's really unbelievable. <laughs> What's the difference? What, what, what is that? What is that extra? Because it's still a chasm of difference, right? This is what I, I don't, I, I've had Danny D. Kroger on the show. He was uh, a professional um, baseball player, uh, you know, and, and I asked them, him this question. If you look back at it now, there's still that, you, you're so close, but yet you're still a chasm away. So what, what fascinates me is that, what is that? Where is that extra? So in golf, I, I can pretty confidently tell you. In baseball, I, I, I don't know. I, I know um, I, I'm familiar with Danny, and my son wants to play, be a baseball player. So, um, But uh, with golf, they hit it so straight, so consistent, and their putting is unbelievable. When they're putting on, on Saturday and Sunday, you don't see how good their putting is. I mean – if they're within 15 feet on a regular day, they will make everything. If they are outside of 15 feet, it's not just that they're, they're missing some and making some, their misses are inches. You know, most of us, when we miss a 40 footer, maybe we've got a four footer coming back. Uh, they'll miss it by two inches, uh, you know, or they'll lip out and it'll be on the back lip and they'll tap it. So they're putting and just their, their consistency with hitting the ball is, is otherworldly. <laughs> Favorite moment in golf watching it? Well, I've been to the masters twice. Um, and I actually got to see with your Australian accent, you'll appreciate this. I, I was um, there in 2013 <laughs> when Adam Scott won in the playoff and we got to see him win in the playoff over in Hill Cabrera at the masters. So that was pretty awesome. I also, um, when I was a kid, got to go to the U.S. Open at Hazeltine in Minnesota and uh, just watching. Uh, Phil Mickelson was still an amateur then, and I got to see Phil Mickelson, and he, he gave me one of his balls. Like he, gives, he, he still gives the balls to the kids all the time. I was that kid at the time. 
And uh, so he came over and gave me that big Phil Mickelson smile and gave me a ball. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Uh, the, the, the golf scene hit Singapore when I was uh, living there and uh, it was called the Barclays Open. They had it over on Sentosa and they, they paid up big to get some stars over and they had Mickelson come over and uh, Westwood. But because the, you know, it's a low population there and it's just, it's tough work walking around in 90% humidity at the best of times, but to, to trudge your ass around a, uh, a golf course is, you know, it's really, really difficult, but I got to follow Westwood and his caddy around. And because there was no one out there, I would just follow them around for like half the course and you can just tune in to what the caddy and he are talking about. And that gave me a whole new respect for the, the role of a caddy which I had never really given too much thought to before. Those caddies are unbelievable. Just this past weekend, Jordan Spieth won a tournament in Texas here, finally, after four years. And uh, his caddy, Michael Greller, is, is unbelievable. But yeah, the good caddies, they more than make up for their pay. And can they play too? Are they like solid, solid players? Most of them can. I don't, I, I don't think all of them can, but most of them are actually really good golfers. So I, I, I know a couple of caddies that I've played with, uh, uh, I'm friends with, and they, they still caddy for guys on the tour because, and they, they can all beat me. Uh, <laughs> so that's amazing. Well, just on my wall up here, sitting opposite me is my signed Tiger Woods hat, uh, which, uh, you know, I had the, the, the good fortune to, to meet him and, and watch him very, very close up in a private, uh, show uh, at Laguna in Singapore, so that was an amazing. And now we don't know what's going to happen, right? With with Tiger. Yeah, I mean, people don't realize. Uh, well, you know, it, and they're not releasing much information. But simple leg break he can heal from. Actually, um, I, breaks in bones actually heal quite nicely. The question is, what other damage did he have? Did he have other ankle damage? Did he have other back problem? I mean, he already had, you know, 10 back surgeries or however many it's been. So did he have other back injuries in this? And, and nobody really knows yet because he's not given any information out. But I sure hope he makes it back. He's fun to watch. Oh, man. And I'd love for him to win the, you know, more majors than, than Nicholas made that, get that monkey off his back. Because watching yeah. him win the Masters a few years back, oh, my God. It was so great. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So, Do you think there are any pro golfers stacking sats? Because we have a, <laughs> a real low-time preference sport. It just seems to match their persona. You know, I've thought about that, and there are none that I know of that are open about stacking sats or being Bitcoiners. I sure hope there are, there should, should be. Um, <laughs> and you know, if any of them are listening, go ahead and give me a call. I'll help you out. But, uh, um, yeah, they absolutely should be, but we're so early, you know, there's the, the bell curve on, on where we're at in out adoption. And I think we're still at about two and a half percent. So we're still way on the end of the bell curve. And, um, so, you know, if more than a couple are, I'd be surprised <laughs> just given that. So you mentioned your your parents, uh, public school teachers, and the fact that you went through your, your whole of your school life without doing any kind of economics lessons at all. Do you ever bring up with them? Like, you know, what the hell was going on back there? Like, why is this not in the curriculum? 
Uh, and that's a, it, it, so technically it was, you know, in high school, I had the option of taking some, uh, some economics classes and in college, I definitely had the option of it, but, um, I never did. I just, you know, I, I avoided them and I was able to, to get through all of my schooling without doing a single economics, uh, finance, anything class. I mean, I think, I don't even think I did an accounting class. I know I, I, at some point I learned how to balance a checkbook. You know, that was about, but that wasn't even a, a, a finance or economics class. That was maybe a math class or something. So um, thankfully I was always really good at math and numbers always kind of um, came easy to me. So, uh, and, and I always enjoyed numbers and I think that helped, helped me when I started my transition. But yeah, that's, it's crazy. I should not be, no one should be able to get through primary schooling without some sort of personal finance education. Yeah, for sure, man. And hopefully going forward, as things change, it'd be of the, the Austrian mindset rather than <laughs> like the legacy system fiat mindset. But we might be a few decades away from that. Uh, a few decades is a long time. I'm thinking more along the line of a decade. Within the next five to 10 years, I, I think a lot of things are going to change. All right. So you, you, you go through the... I'm assuming you went off to, uh, well, yeah, you said you went off to med school. You, you did that. Um, you, and how did you decide that uh, doing eye surgery was, was, was the thing for you? Because uh, for many people, that's, that's a weird thing. And it's just, it's kind of crazy today. I had two dentists on, on, the, um, uh, on the horn. So we've, I've got a lot of uh, the, the medical profession kind of coming out the woodwork at the moment. Since Dr. Bitcoin was on the show, I've had yeah. a few people reach out. Yeah. So, you know, I think ophthalmology and dentistry are somewhat similar, uh, probably similar personality types too, where um, in medicine, you kind of go through medical school and you go through your training and you figure out what you don't like. Um, and then you kind of lump everything. And, and some people know exactly what they want to do from the start of medical school, but most of us don't know what we want to do. And we just kind of start weeding out the things we don't want to do. And then you factor things in like lifestyle, residency training, things like this. So like, I would have loved to have done pediatric surgery. I love kids. I love helping kids. And I thought it would be a great thing. Uh, to get to become a pediatric surgeon in the United States, you have to do four years of medical school, five years of general surgery training uh, in residency, two years of research, followed by another two years of fellowship in pediatric surgery. So it's nine years after medical school. I did the math and I would have been 40, I would have been about how old I am now, about 41 before I even had a real job. And I would have still had $300,000 worth of debt or more. Um, so, you know, it, that didn't make sense for me. I, you know, and, and there's other things that I like cardiology, plastic surgery, a lot of things I would have really liked doing, but ophthalmology was kind of the combination of surgery and clinic and using my brain and diagnosing things at the same time, using my hands to operate. Um, and not only that, and this is the most important thing for me. Most people in medicine now are still treating problems that get worse, okay? They're just trying to slow down the progression. Most of the surgery I do, I see problem, I fix problem, problem all better. Meaning 
uh, cataracts and LASIK, which is the majority of the surgery I do, I take out someone's cataracts and they see better and that's it, they're done. Um, same thing with LASIK. They don't wanna wear glasses or contacts. I can do LASIK on them and they will see better for a long time. Um, and, and I also get to go to other countries and, and I've, you know, do some medical mission work where I get to go operate on these people that they're being led in by the arm in a third world nation they can't do anything. And then you do surgery on just one of their eyes and it takes them from, and this is the math on it, both they and at least one family member are completely down because this person is blind. The other family member has to spend their whole day taking care of this blind person. And you're talking about people that are living out in a mountainous farm somewhere, you know, they don't, they barely have electricity. Some of them don't have electricity much less running water and other things. So you're taking this person from blind to seeing instantly. And it's very, very gratifying. Um, so, and, and on a le uh, similar, but less level uh, in the United States, obviously. That mission work must be crazy. And the both dentist guys today were talking about the mission work that they did uh, out in, uh, in Jamaica and like these, uh, you know, uh, villages, God knows where in the middle of nowhere. I can't imagine that feeling when that person walks in, what, when, when they can see, maybe even for the first time. It, it's, a, it's a good thing. I mean, it, it, usually when I'm operating, I'm not operating on the ones that can see for the first time, but the first time in oftentimes many years, they've been blind for, you know, two to 10 years um, and they are just bawling happy. And, and, and in some, um, in some of the cultures that I go to, they actually show no emotion whatsoever. So it's kind of weird. You take them from blind to seeing really well, and they are dead flat stoic. Uh, they don't show any emotion. <laughs> uh, what culture is that? Well, one of the one of the places I've operated is in the the, um, the mountains of, of Mexico that's controlled by the cartels still. Um, but there's an indigenous population there called the Tarahumara. And uh, they, uh, they, as part of their culture, they just don't show emotion. And so, you know, you, you operate on them, you take them from blind to seeing really well, and, and they may say thank you, but that's about it. That's about all you get. <laughs> but, you know, you know, like I know, okay, this person is going to be so much better off. And the doctors that, that live there and stay there tell you the same thing. They're very happy. They're, they're much more useful in their life. So it's a good thing. So you said you've had 15 surgeries today and what, what you, what's the time with you over there right now? Uh, right now it's in the afternoon. It's three 15. Oh man. You did 15 surgeries before 3 PM. I mean, talk us through some of those. What, what were you seeing today? Excuse the pun. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, uh, thankfully I have a, a really good staff. Like, so, getting back to, to how Bitcoin comes in. So, you know, um, we have, uh, I have two businesses and in our medical practice, we have about 50 employees. And thankfully those, it takes those 50 employees for our three surgeons to uh, operate the way we do. And, and thankfully we have a really good, a really well-run business. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of coordination. So I, the surgeries I'm doing will take me anywhere from some of them I can get done in, in 10 minutes. Some of them take me an hour, but you know, it's, 
it's relatively efficient surgery. And thankfully I've got the staff around me uh, to, to help facilitate the movement because when I go to other countries, we don't have that staff. You don't have that system set up and I'll do uh, eight surgeries in 13 hours and it'll seem like, you know, way more exhausting than anything I've ever done. Whereas here I can do 15 surgeries in five hours or four hours and it's relatively efficient. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, going back to the small business aspect. So yeah, we have 50 employees in our medical practice and 30 employees in, in our restaurant. And so last year, literally we're a year out. I will tell you last year in April, um, it's April, whatever it is, sixth, seventh today, um, was a pretty miserable time to be a small business owner and have 80 employees under you. Um, now, granted, my, my partner at my medical practice, him and I felt the brunt of it. And then I have a partner at the restaurant and um, we uh, partner in this wife and, and we kind of run things. But having this thought hanging over your head that you're going to cost about 80 people their income for, and at that point, we didn't know how long it was going to be. It could have been a month. It could have been six months. It could have been a year. There was no government bailouts yet. We didn't know what was going on. And um, it was it was not a great uh, feeling last year, but we, we plugged through it. That's incredible, man. Well, well done. And um, how, how is the feel now in, in your part of the world? Right. So thankfully, I think we have a lot less restriction here in Texas than you do in Europe. I, I don't know what Europe's at now, but uh, even in other states, they're still more locked down than we are. But so Texas is basically fully open. Um, we don't even have a mask mandate, although pretty much all businesses still have mask mandates. So everybody's still wearing masks, um, but we're free to go about our business. And we've really been that way. Um, even with the restaurant. So it, it was a little different. The medical practice could open of May of last year. So we were only shut down for about six to seven weeks. And then we slowly opened back up. Um, the, the restaurant, restaurants and bars are separated differently. And although we are a tap house, we had done enough business in food that we were able to qualify ourselves as a restaurant. I feel bad for the bars because if you were a bar, even in Texas, you were shut down for about six months, uh, maybe nine, where you couldn't open. And I, I don't really agree with that. Um, thankfully, as a restaurant, we were shut down about three months where we could only do takeout. And, and we did enough takeout to survive. And, and we luckily got a little bit of help from our landlord. A lot of restaurants did not get that. And then with the restaurant business, the, the PPP loan that we got here in the United States was, was huge for, for keeping our restaurant alive. Um, I can say this now, but I will tell you in about this time last year, we were down to about $3,000 in our bank account for our restaurant. We had more than that many bills outstanding. And we had just done $1,500 in business for the entire week. Okay. <laughs> We had, we were only a year in, but we hadn't, you know, we, every day we do more than $1,500 worth of business and our rent is about, you know, well, it's way more than that a month, put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, 
it was it was difficult uh, when when you're looking at oh my god what's going to happen here yeah man so it's i guess for you then like you got a you've got a finger in the bitcoin um world you got a finger in the the small business world restaurant world stroke bar world medical profession world you you've got a pretty unique perspective on how this whole thing has affected so many different people in so many different ways and probably quite a unique take on it because without the aid without the money printing which we all think is evil and you know just crazy your business probably wouldn't have survived Right. So I know a lot of the Bitcoiners hate the money printing and I don't like the concept of it, but um, I can confidently say that it saved 30 people's jobs um, for, for my small business. And it, it even helped out our medical practice, which was in a much better place financially than the restaurant. Like I said, the restaurant had only been open one year. And so we were just starting to catch our flow, you know, in a good small business, the first year, if you don't lose money, you're, that's a good, you've done a good job. And, um, you know, we were just starting to, to make things go forward and then we got shut down. So the, the initial round of PPP loan, uh, literally kept us afloat or I would have had to inject a lot of capital back into the restaurant or just let it die. That, that was, those were the only two options. And I didn't like either one of those two options. And thankfully, the PPP loan hit. And then what also happened in the United States is they freed up a bunch of uh, loan money uh, and made it available at extremely dirt cheap rates, um, as everyone knows, and gave certain businesses uh, uh, more ability to obtain that. Uh, so, and, and that was key too. And so without getting into too many details, that's actually what led the restaurant down the Bitcoin path as well. Obviously, I was already on board, but, um, you know, it's, it's been good. So let's talk about that. You, you as a Bitcoiner, you, you, you understand more of what's going on in the, in the world of finance and, and how Bitcoin is a lifeboat in, in many respects. How did you go about well, thinking about talking your partner into or partners going, taking your businesses onto a Bitcoin standard. That, that couldn't have been too easy if they hadn't even peeked into the rabbit hole yet and all of this craziness was going on. Right. So what happened is, you know, like I said, we got an injection of some, some capital, thankfully. Um, and we were able to, thankfully, in June of last year, open the restaurant back up. And so we started making some money again, which was good. <laughs> we needed to do that. And, you know, I feel horrible for all these businesses in other states and other countries that have been kind of permanently shut down because beyond six months, there's no way any small, any small business or restaurant could make it if you're shut down. You just, you, you can't. Um, so thankfully we were all able to open back up in June and we started doing our full business. Now it was slow in June and July. People were still scared you know, to come back out. But, uh, you know, in Texas, there's a lot of very conservative, uh, uh, opinionated people and they were more than willing to come back out and they, they helped kept the business afloat or help keep the business afloat. So, uh, it was interesting timing with the injection of capital we got was around June. 
And I spoke with my partner about it and we had a bunch of cash sitting on hand. And this was, this was pre Michael Saylor days, uh, mind you, but like him, and I, I didn't state it nearly as eloquently as he did, meaning the melting ice cube of cash sitting there going away. Um, thank you, Michael Saylor, by the way. Um, but so we're sitting there in June with this little bit of cash sitting in our books and I'm going, well, let's do something with this because um, I want to try and be able to grow this business in this downtime, not just keep it afloat. And I actually had to make a deal with my partner. Um, and this is an interesting story. So he decided um, that, okay, we've got this cash. I'll let you take half and just put it into Bitcoin and I'll take half of it. And I just want to do some options trading and <laughs> with this cash, which is really crazy, right? I mean, when you start thinking about what we're doing with the business cash and I'm going, fine, if it lets us put it into Bitcoin, you do some options trading. And his, his options trading was extremely, extremely conservative, mind you. But um, I said, fine, if, it, if you're having fun with it and you want to do it, just do it. So that was how I got him to put some money in Bitcoin. So we did that starting in July, actually, was when we first put some money in both ways. And like I said, that was pre-Michael Saylor. And then next thing you know, Michael Saylor comes on and then starts kicking it and everybody's doing this. And so it gets to late August, um, maybe September range. Uh, so it's been about two months that we'd had our, our money in. And by that point, Bitcoin was starting to take off a little bit after, you know, it had been hovering about 10 grand for a long time. Um, and he had made, he, he was up to like, uh, he was up about a thousand bucks in all of his option trading and he was spending a lot of time doing it. And mind you, all I did was press buy. <laughs> I, I set up the account, I pressed buy, you know, it was sitting in our uh, account and the money was just going like this with Bitcoin. So after about two months, and this is where I think it's really important that you have to let people make the decision for themselves. I couldn't force my partner to go all in on Bitcoin. It would have never happened. Um, but he came back to me at two months and said, wow, I don't understand why we don't have all this in Bitcoin. And his wife was like, let's put it all in Bitcoin, Sean. You're being dumb. Let's do it. So then in August, we, we put more in. And then we ended up getting uh, uh, some more injection of capital and we put some more in. And I think this was around... Um, well, that was just earlier this year. So maybe that was January. So regardless, we've been buying on the way up, but we have now about four to five extra money in there. And it's huge because not that we've, we're not taking this out as distributions as owners. We're trying to grow to a second, third and 10th location. And this is what Bitcoin is doing. So we will now have this injection of capital whenever we want it. And we're, we were already started this process to grow our business from one restaurant to hopefully three to 10 to 20. That's the ultimate goal. Without Bitcoin right now, we would still have the same amount of money sitting in a bank account doing absolutely nothing and melting away like, a, like an ice cube. Oh man, that's, that's incredible. And again, the two dentist guys today were referencing Michael Saylor coming out, and this is why they moved their dentist practice onto a Bitcoin standard. All of these stories are beginning to come out of the woodwork now, and this is just on a, a smaller level, right? Uh, the, the, yeah. What is going on? 
in top echelons of, of this business world boggles the mind. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think thankfully, and I, I like I said, I, had we bought into Bitcoin and had there been no Michael Saylor, I still think the price would be much higher than it was in June of last year. But would it be where it's at today? Absolutely not. I, I don't think without him um, doing what he's done, that it would be anywhere near where it's at right now. So, but it, it may not have been him. It may have been someone else that came along, but you know, it, he just happened to be the right man for the job, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So now you guys must be thinking, all right, so if we want to grow the business, it's going to be very like, you know, I use the analogy, nobody wants to go back into the market and, and buy back some melting ice cubes, right? Uh, that that's, that's not, you know, the, the whole, do we sell some Bitcoin to take the capital to put into a new location? Or how are you thinking about growing this? And yeah, so that's a that's a great question because I've gone back and forth with this. The amount of money we will need to because we've actually made a uh, essentially made a land deal and we're going to build our own restaurant right now. We're just leasing. But the next one's going to be a land and building. Um, so it's a, much more capital intensive. So the, the question becomes, are we going to be able to a generate enough revenue where we can get a down payment without touching the Bitcoin? That would be the ultimate goal. And we may be able to get there. B, are we going to be able to borrow against the Bitcoin, which is still extremely difficult to do on the levels that I'm talking about? Um, that's less likely, but I, I'm hopeful that if that were to come in the next year, that we could do that um, or C, will we be able to, or will we have to take some of that Bitcoin out and put it in as, you know, kind of like the down payment or whatever on your loan for your second property or business. So right now it's, it's looking like it'll be some combination of one and three, but I'm really hopeful that the space progresses for people just like myself that um, that number two becomes an option. Sorry, my sister just walked in. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Who, who walked in? Your your son, did you say? Yeah, my six year old. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry, man. Happens here all the time. Uh, yeah. we're, we're 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 a kid friendly Bitcoin show, as most people. Know. <laughs> yeah. So, if anyone from Unchained Cap is listening, here's a guy that wants to grow restaurant chains, host Bitcoin meetups needs a Bitcoin collateralized <laughs> loan. Phil, I'm you, I know you're listening. Parker, if you're out there, you know, get hold of John. Right. And, and Will, I've talked to a few times, um, Will Cole, and, uh, you know, we just need him to have uh, his relative, Senator Loomis, uh, or Lummis, I think it's pronounced like yes. Hummus, I just learned, um, <laughs> you know, give uh give a call down to the texas uh, legislators and see if we can get stuff moving so that is happening right she, she's uh weighing in i think caitlin long as well uh, but there's there's stuff happening in texas what's what's going on right so texas the state legislature in texas meets six months convenes six months out of every two years and they well five months five to six months so this year happens to be the year they're meeting and they meet from january to june and they hash out as many new bills and laws as they can over that six months. And then the other year and a half, they all go back to their jobs. They all have regular jobs. These are 
these are not just, you know, led, well, some of them are, but most of them are not just legislators. Most of them have, you know, other careers. So right now they're, they're in this six month period where, you know, fourth month in. So they've only got about eight to 12 more weeks left and they need to hash out a couple bills. There are actually some, some, there's some unfriendly legislation on the Texas books right now that I would love to see get off. And, and I don't know if you know who Gary Leland is, uh, he's talked about it on Twitter, but, uh, um, there's other people far more educated than me on it, but, uh, it would be nice if we could get some more pro Bitcoin legislation, um, on the Texas books, because in the United States, if you get it into the, the state legislatures or the state laws, it gets to be very difficult to take it off from a federal level. Man, I hope this, uh, this starts picking up because the, there's so much game theory going on in the US right now between the different states. And it's going to be another few months and another state will start showing interest in it. And before you know it, as Parker would say, gradually and then suddenly, it's all going to start taking off. And there are a few states very well, very well positioned right now. Yep. And... And I think those states need to need to get on the ball. I think there's other, you know, businesses that are going to come out. I don't know. If you, I, I made a prediction after Chipotle did their April Fool's joke uh, thing that I, I they have a quarterly meeting on April 21st. I'd be shocked if they don't announce it on their books. That's the only reason I can think of from a marketing perspective as to why they would have done that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there will be many other co- corporations that come out over the next I hope there will be other corporations that come out over the next three months. A hundred percent, man. It is just no doubt. I mean, again, back to what Michael Saylor did when he, you know, rocked the boat uh, and and woke everybody else up. There wasn't a there wasn't a boardroom that next morning that wasn't talking about a, some kind of Bitcoin strategy or allocation. You you had to, you had to, even if you were going to get laughed out the room. You had to bring it up as uh, like a CFO or a CIO. Otherwise, you, you, you're gone in three months. Yeah. Why didn't right? you bring it up? <laughs> exactly. You, yeah. you, were in, you were in like an impossible situation. You had to bring it up. Um, one thing you might be interested in, there's, there's a crew out there called Atomic Finance. I don't know if you follow these guys. Uh, I hope to have Tony Kai on the show pretty soon. But they are... Um, building a product where you can, so your partner will be all over this, you know, keep it secret if you want, but there'll be a, a way for you to write covered calls uh, for, um, for Bitcoin. So you'll be able to, um, you know, if, if you're holding Bitcoin, you can write the calls on it and take in the premium. And um, it's a way to, to grow your stack if you're brave enough. Uh, so keep an eye on, on those guys. That's Atomic Finance. It'll be interesting to see what they come out with. I'm very interested in the new products coming out. I, I'm also, even though I'm a Bitcoiner, most people uh, think I'm, I'm some sort of rogue risk, uh, high risk person. I'm actually very conservative. And I always, I have, a, I have a famous quote that I tell people all the time. There's a, a very fine line between brave and stupid. <laughs> and I try and straddle that line. <laughs> What do you, what do your friends and family think about you? Like, uh, <laughs> have you found have you found this kind of weird 
situation where you feel as though you're drifting apart from certain people you've known for many years that aren't down the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Well, I don't think so. For me, because of the timing more than anything, I think it's been very good. So interesting, you know, my parents are in their 70s. They're both retired teachers. They they don't they don't need for anything. They're not wealthy individuals, but um, when they were getting the, their stimulus check last year from the government in May, I told them, I said, look, just buy, take your stimulus check and put it in Bitcoin. That's all I'm asking you to do. And my dad said, well, you know, let's just, why, why don't you just buy one Bitcoin? And so they bought one Bitcoin and at the time the price was $8,700. And so they got their Bitcoin for 87. They're, they're still hodling, mind you. And yeah, they're, it's, it's awesome. They love it. And so they're hundred percent on board. Now that's all they talk about is Bitcoin with me. Um, but they still own their one Bitcoin. They probably should have bought more along the way. And they, they're kind of, you know, saying, Oh, but, but their, their whole goal is, Hey, if, if that one Bitcoin goes up, you know, a couple to a couple hundred thousand dollars, we'll take it, take some of it out. We'll take a really nice vacation. Like they've never had before in their life. They'll, um, you know, maybe buy a second house. They don't live in Texas. Maybe buy a second house in, in Texas so they can visit their grandkids more often. That, that would be their only thought. And other than that, they're like, and eh, we don't really need the money. You know, we can do other things that we want. And at that age, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Unlike me and you, they, they don't have kids to take care of. They don't have to, to hollow that the rest of their life. Although, you know, it'd be cool if they did. Um, it's fine for them to spend it. My, my friends... It's interesting. I, I started harassing some of my good friends around May of last year, and they all made fun of me. And then I, 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 I'm on Facebook for some of my friends to follow my friends and their kids and whatnot. And in July, once again, of last year, I just put one tweet out or one um, thing out that said, to all my friends, buy some Bitcoin. And I inevitably, I, I got made fun of, you know, for uh, the whole list was just people making fun of me. And that was in July. So then I came back in August and I said, you know, and I referenced the same posts and I said, there's still time, buy some Bitcoin. Got made fun of a lot. Then by September, October, as the price is jumping, people start saying, oh, John, what, what was this that you're talking about? Why do you like Bitcoin? And so then I start giving them the material. Like I said, you can't force it down people, but they will come to you especially with the price doing what it's doing. So you have to be prepared to provide them with good learning material. But if you try and jam it down somebody's throat, it's, it's, it's a turnoff and it will not work. Um, if you, on the other hand, use psychology a little bit to be your friend and just say, look, I know what this is gonna be doing. I think you guys should get this and just leave it. And then every once in a while, remind people, just not to them, just say, oh, you know, don't forget about this. And then they look and they say, holy cow. And then, so like I've done things like, hey, had you, you know, put your $1,400 or, you know, whatever it was, $1,200 stimulus check into Bitcoin last year, it would be $10,000 now. So think about that when you get your $1,400 stimulus check this year, because that's what we're doing in the United States, just more and more stimulus. So, um, and it brings more, every time I put something up, it brings a couple more people and they go, hey, tell me about this. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Well, <clears throat> well done. That's, that's really, really cool to hear. What's, um, what, when did you, did you have that moment where like you woke up one morning and 
all of the anxieties that you had faced in the past as a business owner, as a husband, as a father, just all of a sudden started disappearing. Do you, do you remember that moment? <laughs> um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. For me, it was, it, it was probably pre-Bitcoin. I mean, I, I, I achieved financial independence, at least uh, if we don't have some Weimar Republic hyperinflation thing going on with the dollar. And that really relaxed me. And I probably achieved that a f- about four years ago, something like that. And, and that was really a weight off my shoulders. I mean, like I said, coming out of med school, I had $300,000 of, of debt. Um, my net worth was negative $300,000 and, and, you know, no financial education. So I had a lot of stress then still had to learn a lot. And, but, so I think that was a, a good weight off my shoulders. Obviously more recently there's, there's stresses with owning a business, but I try and keep it, you know, I've had, and when you go through medical school, you've, you have people, uh, unfortunately pass away in your arms and things like that. And so when you keep it in that perspective, you really realize that, okay, this, this truly is just money. If I have a house over my head, if I have the ability to feed my kids, um, then I've really got it way so much better than 95% of the population in the world that I can't complain. So, you know, how do you think Bitcoin's what, what part of your personality has Bitcoin changed for you the most? Do you think? You know, as it relates to Bitcoin, I think it's just a, it's changed my tune as it relates to low time preference versus high time preference. I've always been, um, you know, pretty conservative with my money and, and thought to the future, but now it's even more so. Like I'm just, I have my own personal Bitcoin and I started buying that obviously when I was learning about it, but I have no desire to spend any of that at all. Like I, I look at other people out there and they're talking about, oh, I can't wait till I can buy that Lamborghini and things. Um, I, I, I got one of the original Teslas in 2013 and that was, that was a big thing for me. You know, in hindsight, had I spent that hundred grand on buying uh, Bitcoin at the time, I'd be worth a hundred million right now. Um, but you know, I wanted that car and it was, and I still have that car for that matter, but now I have no desire for car or stuff. I don't have desire for a bigger house, anything like that. It's, it's taking care of my kids, maybe having some generational wealth and just being able to use my money uh, to do more good. And this is the interesting thing about Michael Saylor. You know, he's got the hope.org and I think a lot of his desire to do this has to do with what's best for the world. And if I can hodl my Bitcoin until I'm 70 and then I can do something really, really good with it for the world, that's, that would be outstanding in my mind because there's so much poverty in the world that I've, I've seen. And I'm, I don't, I'm sure you have too in Singapore and anywhere else you've been um, that I'd really like there to be a lot less of that, honestly. Um, food for everyone, shelter for everyone, a lot less, uh, um, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, crime that happens in third world countries that could be prevented with better education. I know you're working with uh, uh, your daughter, uh, and is it Gemini or not Gemini, um, Geronimo? 
Galileo. Galileo. I knew it started with a G. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> I, I listened to that podcast. I, I looked at it for my kids, actually. But, um, right. you know, Galileo, if something like that uh, uh, happens and is easy to access for the global population, you can increase the global education so, so much more than you can right now. So uh, with that education comes, comes better things for everyone. And that's really what I, what I would desire. All right. Well, that leads me into the last question, which uh, I think you, you probably know what it is. Um, I'll, I, I'll still throw it out there. If you had one yeah. orange pill left to give, who would you give it to and why? Uh, that's, let me, uh, I have to look this up really quick because I, I did have one and I can't remember his name. I actually have two for you. Um, okay. So you, so, come, you come prepared. I like it. it you know, yeah. most, most people like give me the, the whole, oh, I forgot you asked that question at the end of the show. No, I, I've, I've prepared. So I'm going to do two. And All right. Uh, I don't know if anybody said Alfred Kelly yet. Do you know who Alfred Kelly is? No, hit me up. Who, who is Alfred Kelly? He's the CEO of Visa. Okay. I know a lot of, yeah, I know a lot of people have said Bezos, which I think is an outstanding pick as well. But uh, if I had one, it would be Alfred Kelly. But I've thought about a second that I think would be huge as well. And that's uh, a guy named Bob Chappick. I don't know if you know who Bob Chappick is. No, fill me in. He's the CEO of Disney. And the reason okay. for that is if we get our kids Bitcoin, Bitcoinized, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what, what you and I do. If our kids understand Bitcoin, it will happen. Look at everything that happens in society. It's the youth movement that, that makes it happen. And so Disney is, is just, uh, it seems like a, a, a simple avenue. If you were to uh, Bitcoin Disney, it would, it would go everywhere. Yeah, that's a great shout, man. No one's no one's picked that before. That is, uh, yeah, get them on the. Oh, we're all done with Disney princesses, right? I mean, I think we can move yes. on to a new era. Oh my yes. god! Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, let's be fair. I mean, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, uh, Disney have caused a a lot of like societal weirdness in the past with with their films and yeah. their narratives so bob if you are listening <laughs> like you know that's what 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 would walt have wanted right exactly if you go back to what walt disney would have wanted i think he would have wanted bitcoin bitcoin is for everyone and it yeah it, it, it truly is for the kids and that was what this this whole business was was built on he, he would probably be turning in his grave if if he saw some of the shit that was going on right now. <laughs> I, I think you, I, I would agree. Yep. Yep. No, <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for, for reaching out. I really appreciate you. You turning up in the DMS and uh, putting your hand up to come on and share your story and your journey and your, your insights. Where can people come and find you? And, and do you have any parting messages for the listeners? Uh, I mean, my only parting message would be, you know, keep an open mind to everything. There's a lot of uh, hardcore opinions on Twitter. Just uh, keep an open mind. And if, you, if you're in Austin, please come visit my restaurant. Uh, it's called Ounce Tap House, uh, OZ Tap House, because you can get your, uh, you can pour your drinks by the ounce. We charge you by the ounce. So um, come visit us at Ounce Tap House if you're in town. 
Where is it in town? So people know because you've got Al's lacrosse out there. You've got uh, Phil Gibson. You've got a bunch of cool, cool Bitcoiners out there. So let's give them the, the place to head to. No excuses, right. guys. Okay. So we're at, uh, I'm going to give you some roads, but we're basically at 2222 and 620 out close to Lake Travis. So uh, people that know Austin will know the, uh, the Four Points area, and that's where we're located. Any discounts for Bitcoin payments on beers? Lightning? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, sure, I'll I'll buy them a beer for every beer they pay in Bitcoin. Buy one, get one free on me. <laughs> Look at that, guys! Uh, old Princey's working it for you. So, uh, <laughs> John, appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, I really hope to to meet you one day. Are you gonna make it out to the conference in Miami? Do you have plans? Because so yeah, be, between the kids and my businesses, I'm unfortunately not going to make it to Miami. Um, I hope to soon be at one of the large Bitcoin conferences. Uh, I have no problems traveling right now. I'd love to make it to Miami, and I'm going to be really upset if I miss the 100K party there. But uh, <laughs> um, but either way, I hope to meet you all soon. We'll come and find you, man. Perhaps we'll get right. uh, if, once we get there, we'll get a nice big RV or Winnebago and just do the whole big camper trip and come hang out <laughs> all right thank you take care man you too Bye. hey guys thank you so much for sticking around and listening and thank you again john for coming on the show thanks for reaching out such a great rip always great to meet bitcoiners from all walks of life from anywhere in the world and and learn about your stories and learn about how Bitcoin has changed you, your lives, your family's lives, your business practices, where you see the future, how this thing's gonna play out, how it's giving you hope, how you can build on it. I mean, now you can truly think about opening 10 restaurants and this, this is just such an amazing asset. And uh, you know, I just wish we could get more and more people along for the ride, but that's what these podcasts are about. So guys, if you're listening, go share it with someone. You never know. It might help someone across the line. And do what you need to do. Step up, write that article, make that meme, whatever it is. Make sure you're contributing somehow to the space. And it could be just something so, so simple. So don't stop yourselves. I really appreciate everybody for listening. If you're rating, reviewing, subscribing, love it. Thank you so much. You know where to find me on Twitter, at Princey1976. Come hang out and enjoy some of the banter and shitposting. And of course, please go check out the site, once-bitten.com. Hit up the sponsors page. You'll find CoinFloor. You'll find Swan. You'll find Relay. You'll find Shift Crypto. You can start stacking sats with all three of those first companies I mentioned. And then you can take control onto a hardware wallet, shiftcrypto.com. CH, excuse me, forward slash bitten. Take care, guys. Catch you on the next show.